We are going to come up and uh, get set up here. And uh, as we do, you guys good? I'm going to come over this way. Um, something a little different. We, ha- we haven't done this before at East Brandywine, had uh, a panel like this before, but we were really excited for you to hear uh, about this trip. And these guys did an incredible job. Just I want to tell you, as the youth pastor, um, I was blown away by their humility, their flexibility, their boldness for the gospel, um, the way that they served one another and loved each other well um, all week long, and then loved the people of Utah well. So you should be, as a congregation and parents, if you're here, you should be proud of them. Um, so could we just give it up for them one time? I just as their youth pastor, I'm proud of them. Um, we had, man, we had an incredible week. You guys agree? Yeah, they're just nodding silently. Yes. Um, so what I thought we could start off with is just to get the conversation started about our trip. Um, how would you guys describe Utah? So I think for most of us, it was our first time being out there. So how would you describe the scenery, the people, and the needs? Who would want to get us started? I can go. <laughs> yeah, please, yeah. Um, well, are we saying our names? Yeah, sorry. Just when you go, just introduce yourself for the Hi, first time. I'm Samantha yeah. Swenson. Um, Utah was beautiful, um, yeah. absolutely beautiful. I had never been out west before. I've actually never flown before, um, but it was absolutely beautiful. Um, it was definitely a very different culture. Um, there was a big mix of uh, Mormons, ex-Mormons, atheists, people that turned away from religion because of Mormonism. Um, there was definitely a big mix, but I would say just in general, like there was a great need for the gospel as there is everywhere, but especially in Utah. Thanks. Brayden, do you want to say something? Yeah, it, as you, I'm Brayden as you just said. Um, it's, it was so beautiful out there. I, I, like Sam, I'd never been out that far west, and just everywhere you looked, you could see the mountains, and they're just gorgeous. And like she said, there's so many people there. It's some of the nicest people I've ever met, and that was probably the most heartbreaking thing, especially when talking to a lot of the Mormons, is they would say things that were so close and yet so far, and they were so mm. genuine, and, and it was just heartbreaking to see. And so there is really just a huge need for the gospel because they're just, they're such sweet and kind people, but they're just so lost. Mm-hmm. Hey, just a follow-up question to that, and, and anybody can answer it. Um, where do you think that sweetness comes from? So as we talked to, we spent a ton of time learning about and talking to uh, Latter-day Saints. I mean, most of the people you run into in Utah and in Idaho, that whole region, would, would identify as LDS or maybe even ex-LDS, but... From your experience, where does that come from, that, that sweetness, that kindness, um, the beautiful lawns that we saw, just all that? Where, where does that come from? Yeah. Um, so we learned that the LDS church, they believe in uh, that works play a large part in salvation. And my guess is that they're so nice because of that. Just mm-hmm. their whole society believes in, like they said multiple times, getting up and starting over and doing the next good thing. Thank you. Anybody else want to comment? I think one thing that um, one of the pastors at Plant Camp, which is my next question, what is Plant Camp? Um, One of the pastors said, you'll never have a nicer neighbor than a Mormon, right? Because they have to earn it every single day. Um, So that that stuck out to me. So somebody else, what is Plant Camp? We went to participate in Plant Camp, and I don't think they've ever heard of Plant Camp before. Um, None of you had before we went, so what is Plant Camp? Evan, you look like you want to say something. Okay, so yeah, as he said, my name's Evan. 
Um, but so plan camp was getting, helping the churches out there get started off the ground because um, as you heard, they're very heavily Mormon. So there isn't as much churches out there. So we were helping get the churches started. And the main church we partnered with, they were only 10 years old uh, compared to here, which is over 175 years old. Mm-hmm. And another church we partnered with, they were only also like two years old. So, so most of the churches are very young and trying to get their feet off the ground. So Plant Camp is partnering with those churches that are getting started, that are planted. Actually, I have um, a slide. Can we show the first map? Um, I want to show everybody kind of something they showed us. So this is Salt Lake City. And um, there's three different colors there, and it's backwards from what you think it is. So let me just make sure I get this straight. Red would be gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches in Salt Lake City. These are churches that love the Lord, solid doctrine. I I would say very much like us at East Brandywine. The, the green would be churches where it, we, we think of that more like a liberal denomination, doesn't preach the gospel, um, not exactly sure where they'd be doctrinally. And yellows would be sort of question marks. The, the um, people at Plant Camp at Gospel Grace Church who we were partnering with um, just didn't really know enough about them. Maybe they uh, believe the gospel, but we differ doctrinally on some things. Um, if you, th- this is kind of a picture of how many churches are now. That looks like a lot, but can you show the next slide, guys? The black is LDS chapels, right? So when you compare that for a city that has over a million people, um, there, there's not a lot of churches. And, and so like Evan was saying, we're going to help them and, 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 and be there. Anybody else want to share, like, what is Plant Camp? What, what were we doing with that? Yeah. yeah so <clears throat> and say your name, too. Um, Sophia. So one of the days we were there, we got these door hangers just had like information about the churches we were trying to help grow and plant and so we went to a couple communities and we would just go around and hang door hangers and sometimes there were people who would come out and ask about it and that way we were able to spread information about these new churches and just help them spread through the communities Hmm. thanks yeah there's just not a lot of gospel believers in utah and so these churches need help they need people to hand out, like you said, door hangers, um, run ministries, outreach, all sorts of stuff. Good. Thanks, guys. Um, we had a ton of gospel conversations, right? Did, did all of you have good gospel conversations on the trip? Um, what are some of the ways that we created opportunities for gospel conversations that Plant Camp taught us to? Like, how, how, do you, how did we do that during the week? What were some of the ways we started gospel conversations? Yeah. So we did these things. We would as well as the canvas thing, which was the door hangers, we would go out and we would set up tables, and those were pretty cool, but then at those tables, we'd have two people, a pair of people go out, and they would survey people, just random people, just asking them like what they believe and what they think like Salt Lake needs and all those just kind of questions. But one of the biggest things is that Mormons, they love to tell you what they believe. Like, that is huge. and. They don't get a lot of people. They don't ask people what they believe before they tell the before they tell that person. So then, a big thing for us was telling, was asking them what they believe before explaining what we believe to them. Mm-hmm. And that was a really big tool because none of them really expected it. Nobody there, atheists, Mormons, anybody, would expect that because most of the gospel preaching there was Mormon, and they would 
they don't ask you what you believe before they just tell you. So that was pretty cool. Thank you. You mentioned tabling. Could somebody talk about tabling and what that is? Someone down here? Yeah, I can go. I'm sure. Julianne. So tabling, so Gospel Grace would, they had four tables. One was share your story. There was I'm thankful for, and Jesus said. Um, so basically we'd set those tables up around Liberty Park, just a big park there. And people walking by, we'd offer them like free waters or snacks and then just try and start conversation with them. So like about the table I was at was share your story. So then we'd ask them like, are you from any religious background or anything? Like, how'd you come to Salt Lake City? And just try and go deeper and deeper with the questions. And then we'd ask them if they were willing to share, to like write their testimonies down and we'd hang them by a tree, like by the table. And that was just a really good way to like um, get to know what some people in the city are thinking. It's just really good to connect with some people. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Anybody else? What were some of the ways we started gospel conversations? Um, another thing we did twice was a car wash. Uh, we would have most of the teens were washing cars, and then the, uh, the leaders or sponsors, as they were called there, um, would be sitting under this tent with free snacks and stuff, and we would invite people out of their cars. Um, I know personally I had some great conversations there, but um, it, was, it was free, so people would come. Um, but I think the group as a whole really said that that was something we'd even love to do here, um, just because we were able to talk to so many people, and it was a great opportunity. I'm not sure why you put leaders in quotes. Like, no, I don't know what you're trying to say by that, but oh, sponsors. sponsors. Oh, okay, sponsors. I see, I see. Um, okay, good. Uh, yeah, so, and, and even some of the teens, like I know Emma, can you tell us about the um, conversation you had at the car wash for like two hours? Yeah, so I'm Emma, <laughs> and I actually, um, the reason I was having a conversation is because the lady there, she didn't speak a lot of English, she mostly spoke Spanish, and I'm a Spanish student at, at my school, and so I was like, I know some Spanish, I'll go talk to you. So we kind of had like a mostly Spanish sort of English conversation, but she just, um, she was from Mexico, so she's raised Catholic, but she's attending an LDS church in Salt Lake City. And she also believes in um, like the Buddhist practice of holistic healing. And at the end of the day, she thinks that like everybody goes to heaven unless you're like a terrible person. So she was like all over the place. And I was just like, wow what <laughs> i was very like Whoo, and, and you're trying to do it in spanish <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was very interesting because she kept saying this other thing and i was just like oh my word what <laughs> but um the language barrier was definitely kind of interesting but the cool thing about the way gospel grace taught us to have gospel conversations is they said first you should just listen mm -hmm. like just let them talk understand what they believe and um what was that book called Tactics. Tactics. So they, yeah. they pulled from this book called Tactics. I don't know who wrote it, but the author um, said there's like three questions you should be asking. The first one's like, what do you mean by that? So if someone says something you don't totally understand, you should say, well, what do you mean by that? Just so you can understand. And then once you kind of understand where they're coming from, you can ask them, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, and so after you've talked to them for a while, you get a pretty good understanding of where they're coming from, what they believe, and then because you've done that, first of all, you show that you care about them and you build like a relationship with them because you just had a very deep conversation with them for a while. Um, and you also understand um, 
how to present the gospel to them best. So this lady mm -hmm. that I was talking to, I understood that um, I needed to tell her more about well, what constitutes good and what constitutes bad. And we needed to talk more about that part of like, well, what is there such thing as a good person and what about God's justice and things like that. But sometimes when you're talking to like LDS people, you need to focus more on um, uh, faith by grace alone and that part of salvation. So it's interesting to really get to know the person you're talking to first so that you can understand how to best present the gospel to them. Yeah, one thing they said to us a number of times was that, so, so Pastor Will Galkin, the, one of the pastors at uh, Gospel Grace Church who did a lot of our training, said he never had the same conversation with an LDS person twice. In other words, that their belief system is so scattered, it's so all over the place, and, and, and as you dig into their belief system, it starts to make sense why, which um, maybe somebody can get to at some point. But um, you never have a conversation twice, and the same one twice, because there's such different beliefs and so maybe you guys could share, just to piggybacking off of Emma, um, those three questions we were taught to ask. What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? Are you saying that? Um, why are those questions like so important for sharing the gospel today in our culture? So one of the big things with that is because we live in such a relativistic culture, like Emma said, that woman had pulled together multiple religious practices to kind of create her own thing. Um, and the big problem that comes along with that is there are a lot of inconsistencies and, for lack of a better word, plot holes within that narrative that they construct for themselves. And so by asking these questions, what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? And are you saying that? What you're trying to do is you're trying to get them to keep talking until they talk themselves into a pit that they made themselves. Um, it shows them, it causes them to see the, own, the cracks in their own worldview because there are a lot of them, especially with people who construct their own worldviews. There's just so much incoherent nonsense in there that sounds good, but really doesn't make much sense. And the second you get them to realize that, that's when you kind of, they kind of get to that breaking point where they don't realize what they, what they just said. And so that's why we asked them. Thank you. What do we call that? That was called putting a pebble in their shoe, right? Does somebody want to explain that? Somebody else other than Braden? Yeah, Evan, what does it mean to put a pebble in someone's shoe? Okay, so a, pe a pebble in the shoe is like not full out evangelizing to them, but just like, just asking questions to make them stop and think um, for, um, so they do have uh, that thinking of what they heard from us or the other people who were out there. And for me, it kind of reminded me of the one parable of the sower and the seed where uh, we were just planting seeds in each of those person's lives. And it's just a seed and wherever that seed lands, like that's where the people were who we talked to. Thank you. Anybody else? Pebble in the shoe? Any thoughts on that? I think people are much more responsive to a question that they can come to their own conclusion about rather than you just telling them what you believe um, and mm -hmm. how they're wrong. Because 
which we found a lot, which people will come to their own conclusions when you ask them leading questions rather than just walking up to them and being like, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> but I think the pebble in the shoe is just, it's, you know, if pebble's annoying, you're gonna think about it and it's gonna bother you for a while. Um, it was just giving them something to think about that wouldn't go away and would maybe cause them to question their own worldview. Hmm. Thank you. Any other thoughts on that? What kind of questions, so one thing we were trying to be really careful about, and you've all hinted at this, is uh, in a gospel conversation, if you're not careful, it's easy to shut someone down. And they'll, they'll just be, well, I don't really want to talk about that. And I, I can remember we were tabling one day, and the table said, um, it said, Jesus said, which was probably a little bit too, like, stark of a, of a prompt. Because the idea is there was a prompt on the table that they then come up and respond to. And, I, and we think it was maybe a little bit too abrupt. Um, and, and to show that, one woman was going by, and, you know, we just had waters and stuff. Say, hey, would you like a free water? It's 107 degrees today. Would you like a free water? And, uh, and she looked at the table, and she said, what are you guys selling? And then she looked down at the words, and she said, Jesus said, oh, it's about Jesus. Never mind, and just left, right? And um, I think we had, like, that moment, but there were, there were other moments where we were just found, like, if we weren't careful, people would just shut down. They're like, well, and then the conversation would just end, or they'd be like, well, I got to go, or my car's unwashed, I got to leave. So what are, some, what are some ways to shut down a conversation, and, and um, what kind of questions could do that? Like, what, what kind of questions shut down conversations, or what kind of comments did you guys notice throughout the week ended gospel conversations, if you weren't careful? So uh, there, I do have an example of this. Uh, the first day we were there, we got to tour the LDS Convention Center, and we were just asking questions to get to another faith. And mm -hmm. there was one question where uh, one of us asked about the Holy Spirit because they believe in the Holy Ghost and we were trying to understand their version of the Trinity. And we weren't like being interrogating about, but how, and they ended up shutting down and how they shut down is they immediately like clam up and like, want to give you their testimony and mm -hmm. and that's how like their version of justifying themselves through that thank you no one else interestingly enough i got shut down a lot when i would ask like oh what do you like about the mormon church um hmm. which i just found that like they didn't really have an answer um so then they would just kind of shut down and want to move on hmm. Anybody else? Any moments where the conversation just sort of halted because of a question you asked or a comment you made? So we were talking to an elderly man for a while. He'd been a high priest for 25 years. Um, and so we, were, we heard a lot about his family and his life and all that. And then we were trying to ask him, like, well, who do you think Jesus is? And then he just kind of, like, brush it aside and keep talking about his family and the church mm. and I wanted to ask him again but I didn't want to feel like pushy mm -hmm. but he just kind of avoided that sure so the style that they've kind of described to you is we're just having a conversation and, and the goal of that is to try to understand their belief system their worldview how do you guys get from that to then sharing the gospel because the goal isn't right just to just to talk about their worldview that's not the end of the story we actually have truth about Jesus that we want to share. So how did you guys transition from asking questions and digging into their worldview to sharing the gospel? 
Um, so one of the things they told us to do at Gospel Grace, um, specifically Pastor Will was saying, uh, once you've gotten them to talk for a while, then you should say like, okay, I'm going to take like three minutes. Do you mind if I tell you about what I believe? Mm -hmm. And the goal of doing that is um, that you just listen to them, obviously. So most people are going to be respectful and be like, yeah, sure, that's okay. And then you can just like really quickly hit, like you said this, but this is actually what I think and things like that. So that's what they said um, to do. But the one conversation where I kind of got to that point, it didn't fit out so nicely of that, Ryan and I, uh, we had knocked on someone's door and we were talking to him, he was an LDS gentleman. And so we just kind of like, it was an interesting conversation. He was kind of telling us about what he believed and we would kind of like go on side tracks sometimes. But eventually we got to the point where he had been talking about how, um, he was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna go to heaven, but I'm not sure. Uh, so I just, I'm like still doing my good works or whatever so that I, I can have that confidence. Um, and R Ryan and I kind of jumped on that, like, well, can we tell you about why we have confidence? So sometimes mm. you, you kind of have to make a hole for yourself or they're just gonna keep talking for like a long, long time. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of what we did. But yeah, what they yeah. recommend doing is just saying, well, do you mind if I share for a little bit now? Um, and that's a great opportunity to just say, well, this is what I think, you know what I mean? Hmm. Is anybody else? So Courtney Bullock and I were um, at the car wash. We were in the tent, and we were talking to this, this family of three. Um, and we were just asking them questions and talking to them for a while. And the one, the mother, um, she, uh, she mentioned how what one thing that the church that we partnered with, Gospel Grace, one thing they did over the summer is they had four churches in the park on Wednesday after, like evenings, and they would cook free meals, give it to whoever wants it, and they would have worship and give a quick message. Um, and she said how that really stuck out to her. And she was like, it seems like Christians are the only ones that really care and are going out of their way to help people with no strings attached. And so Courtney and I used that as an opportunity. I said to them, um, well, do you want to know why that is? Hmm. And she was like, actually, yeah. Uh, and she'd said previously that she'd left the LDS church. And so I said, um, the difference between, do you want to know the difference between us and the LDS church is that for them, good works get them into heaven. So everything they do is for them. Um, it benefits them directly. That doesn't happen to us. We, are, we go to heaven by grace, and, by grace alone um, and through Christ's love alone. So for us, everything we do, it doesn't benefit us in any way, really. It's just because we know the love of Christ, and we want to share that with them, and we want everyone to know that. And she was just, like, astounded by that because mm -hmm. it's such a juxtaposed to everything. you got to work hard so you can get into heaven and get up to the highest tiers of heaven, when in reality what it is is just we know what it's like to know the love of Christ, and we want everyone to be able to enjoy that. Um, and so that, mm -hmm. that kind of was a big opportunity and for a lot of people they don't really hear that and they think that we also do things for works as well um, and so just being able to share that was a, a big opportunity to get a gospel conversation in there thanks I love how you said uh, do you want to know why right I think how, how many of you have ever thought like I'm gonna go into my workplace or my school I'm gonna be a super good Christian and then because everybody sees that they're all just gonna come to me like begging me to tell them what's different about me and we're like that's how evangelism works that's not how evangelism works. Most people won't do that. In fact, um, I, I can't think of many times that's happened in my life. 
And so sometimes we have to ask that question when they, when they do notice, hey, you, you like just did this awesome thing. That's a moment for you to say, hey, do you want to know why? And then it opens the door. Um, but we, we noticed that if we open that door by just asking, hey, do you want to know what we believe? Or do you want to know why? Do you want to know why we do this? Do you know why we're, if we flew out from Pennsylvania and we're in 177 degrees heat, you know, like out here talking to you at a table, like, do you want to know why? Everyone said, yeah. Everyone that we were already in a conversation with was like, yeah, absolutely. I want to know why. Um, but they needed that help to, to just even go there. Um, so we found that. Hey, so, uh, Braden, you started to get to this. But one other question I wanted to ask was, we spent a lot of time learning about LDS because that was the, probably the main audience we spent uh, time evangelizing to. And like I said before, we, I know that the belief system can kind of be a little scattered. Um, but what are some of the things you guys remember? Because I, I, we talked to a number of people that said to us, so glad you guys are out here. A lot of LDS people said to us, so glad you guys are out here doing this. We need to stick together. We're on the same side. Right, so like the LDS church, there, there's a group in there, not the whole church, but there's a group at least that sees evangelical Christians and, and, and LDS as the same thing. And as we unpacked their worldview over the week, we started to realize it's not the same thing. And so what were some of the distinctions you noticed between gospel-believing, evangelical doctrine, and what, what we believe as a church versus what LDS beliefs we kind of encountered? What were some differences? one of the most important things was that they don't believe in the Trinity the same way that we do. Um, they don't believe that they are three in one. They think they're three distinct people, um, which was, a, I think a lot of what we tried to do was to get the people that did see us as the same um, to see us as different, because that was a way to get towards like sharing the gospel. And um, yeah, that was a big difference, is they see it as three separate beings and three separate people. What I, what I kept running into was the, the foundation of Mormonism is, is sinking sand. They have four supposed sources of truths. None of the people I've talked to referenced any of them. Mm. They, uh, the Mormon missionaries we, that gave us the tour in the conference center quoted the life story of Joseph Smith way better than, than she quoted the Bible or the Book of the Prophets. And whenever I ask, there, I, at the end of the trip, I talked to a very devout woman, a graduate, graduate of, of college. She, I, I asked her so many questions about, about where did this come from? And she said, I don't know. I just, I've, I've been taught this way all my life. I don't know where it's from. <laughs> and, but we know we have the inspired word of God, but they don't seem to care. They, they, they're all, they're all of their sources come from the supposed given authority of Joseph, Joseph Smith, the supposed given authority of prophets living in the church right now, who can change the doctrines every year, mm-hmm. <laughs> and not, not on the unchanging word of truth that we have. So that's the, one of the biggest things I've seen. So their source of authority completely different than us. Yeah, the source of doctrines and authority. Yeah, good. What else did you guys see? One of the biggest things I remember um, reading through passages in the Book of Mormon was um, the lines, as man is, God once was, and as Mm -hmm. God is, man can be. Um, And so they believed that God was a created entity created by another God and another universe, and he was so good that he eventually became a God himself and created everything, and that if you're good enough, you can become a God yourself and create. And it's just the... 
like when they, when they say we believe the same thing and then you like that that sort of difference is immense to say that God is a created entity entity that had a beginning um, and that he created Jesus separately and the Holy Spirit they're, they're created entities um, and that we are all made from the same matter that God is made of and so we can become a God ourselves mm-hmm. it's just it's is one of the most shocking things that I saw because that is that is completely juxtaposed to what we believe thank you anybody else I would also say that uh, they believe in personal revelation through their experience and they believe that that is just as true as the Bible the Book of Mormon pro great price doctrine and covenants so uh, at one of these houses uh, people were canvassing in this neighborhood the day before us and my group came to this house and she there's a sweet elderly lady lady uh, she was very nice very polite um, and once we got into conversation uh, she brought up her personal experience and how it was important and uh, pastor Matt asked uh, but what would you say about the heart being deceitful above all things and he talked about that for a little bit and she agreed with him but then a little later in the conversation she didn't say this directly but it she kind of said yes but not for me mm-hmm. because their personal revelation is so important to them and they live by it just as they would all four of their scriptures mm-hmm. thank you then on top of that they also have the revelation of the prophets which i think is very fascinating because the prophet is sinful but also everything he said is uh of god so don't really know how that goes but that was something that i found interesting Thank you. Guys, last question. Um, what do you take away from the week, right? Like, how, how, how are you challenged? How has your life changed? I mean, you walked away, we walked away from an incredible week. I mean, I think most of us had more gospel conversations than we've ever had in our entire life. And um, we studied scripture together for a week, we went through James. So what are you challenged by? How, how is God challenging you, calling you to, what is he calling you to? Um, how are you coming home from this changed, and, and do you see this impacting your life? I want to bring up what we, what we kept, what the theme of our, of our plant camp is. Will Galkin preached constantly from James 3 to 4, and his main idea is the conf- conflicting idols with Holy Spirit in our hearts. And I see, I, it just impacted me uh, as well as the, the evangelism we were able to do. For me, I see how much sin destroys. How I see how much sin really destroys people when, when, when God, when the Holy Spirit is not in control. And that for me, it, for me, uh, for me, it, that really impacted my heart and said, this, this cannot be. I cannot have an idol living in my heart while proclaiming to serve God. Mm-hmm. And that, having a week of just witnessing how much how devastating sin really is can be and and that just drives me not first to cleanse myself and mourn and 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 turn my laughter into into mourning and say i'm gonna kill my idols but then to say i don't want other people to live in sin i don't want the world to go to hell and suffer the eternal consequences and say i i heard the gospel before I have, or I haven't heard the gospel before, rather. So it just, it, it, 
the love of God abiding in us, driving us to, to, to share the gospel even more. Anyone else? Um, I think the most convicting thing for me of the week, um, the one pastor from Mosaic came up to Gospel Grace the one night and he was talking uh, out of Second Corinthians about what sharing the gospel should look like. And he talked about this lady that he knew, her name was Kelsey, and um, she grew up in like Texas or something, not in a Christian home, surrounded by Christian people her whole life. Um, but it wasn't until she was like an adult that she became a believer. And so he was talking to her about her testimony and he was like, like, what did you feel when you first got saved? And she was like, well, I was, I felt this joy. And he was like, okay. She's like, but I also was so angry. And he was like, oh, why? Because that's kind of weird, you know? And she was like, well, I was surrounded by people who were Christian my whole life. Like, I had Christian friends in high school, and none of them ever told me about Jesus. And um, I go to a public high school, and I have a couple of very good friends who are not believers, and I've never really um, tried to talk to them about that. So that was so convicting for me. I was just like, ooh, like, I don't want them to say that about me because I didn't have the courage to go out of my comfort zone and talk to them about the most important in in the world mm -hmm. and i was like okay so that was that was something that really stuck out to me is the importance of those really close relationships we have like like not just evangelizing with with people um you know that we meet somewhere but also making sure we're evangelizing to some of our closer friends and family who who are not saved thank you anybody else we have time for one more if one more person wants to share what they're taking away from this week a mic battle. Will it be Sam or will it be Braden? It will be Braden. <laughs> um, so the, the probably the biggest takeaway was how easy it really was to share the gospel when you take that leap of faith because the Lord meets you there. Um, mm -hmm. And as soon as I trusted and it was just, just started talking, that's when the Lord started speaking through me. Um, and then that one conversation I had um, with Courtney and then this family of three that I mentioned previously she started coming to tears and she said oh, how, those are some of the, that's like some of those beautiful words I've ever heard and I'm like those are not coming from me I can't speak that poetically mm. normally um, and so when the Lord will meet you there and that was just the biggest thing is yeah when, it's a little bit intimidating to talk to people but it's much easier than, than I thought it would be and it's just it, I already tried having a few conversations with people at work since I've gotten back and it's just so much easier than I ever thought it would be and I kind of wish I'd done it before Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's probably the biggest takeaway for me. That's encouraging. Thanks. Do you want to share too? One sure. The fear of man one is, sentence. I have one sentence. That's <laughs> okay. all I got. Okay. Uh, the fear of man right. isn't worth it. The fear of man is what? Isn't worth, isn't worth it. Yeah, it's worth sharing the gospel for sure. Guys, my prayer uh, for this week was that we all would see that sharing the gospel is something we can do that we would do it and that we would come home on fire to do it. And uh, God answered that prayer. So thank you all for an amazing week. Can you guys give it up for them? Yeah. If you guys want to take your chairs, you can just put them down back where you got them. That'll be the end of our panel. And if, if everyone else has their Bible, I did want to just open up to one passage of scripture with you for a few moments. I, I know that we're about out of time, so I will be quick. If you'd open up to Acts chapter 17, um, we're going to look... I, I couldn't get this passage off my mind this last week, and um, I wanted to open it up and, and share it with you because 
as we, as we went through the week, it, it was just, I mean, like Brayden said, it was so easy to share the gospel. And, um, and as I thought about it more, Acts 17 stuck out because what we were doing is what Paul did in Athens, right? So that's what we're going to look at briefly. Um, but we had, we had so many gospel conversations. Um, and the, the question is, how do you get there? And I think they answered it for you, is you start by asking about their belief system. You dig into what they think, what they believe is true. And um, we're looking for places where the worldview falls apart. And, and one thing I was really challenged by was like, well, that's kind of scary because what if they ask me questions and my worldview falls apart, right? Well, what, we, what I've come to realize, especially on this trip, talking to a bunch of people with um, a variety of different worldviews, is that the Christian worldview is the most consistent worldview because it's truth. And, and what did Paul say in the book of 1 Corinthians? He said, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, what? We should just stop doing this. We're wasting our time, right? And so if we get to a point where we find out that this isn't true, like, wouldn't you want to know that? And, and so what we found in all of these conversations is just the intense consistency of our faith and, and how believable and how true and real it is. And that comes from asking just so many different questions. And um, as I thought more about it, I was like, why does, why does this work so well? And I think it's because sometimes when we think about sharing the gospel, somebody set it up here. Like, like sometimes we think it's just like speaking truth at people. Like you go up to somebody at work and be like, Jesus died for your sins. And that's, that's gospel sharing, right? Um, I used to teach math, and I loved it. And what really was a turning point in my career in mathematics was, you know, math is a really good thing, but I, if I asked you out there how you feel about math, most of you would go like this, right? Because when you were taught math, it was like um, someone shoving a big ibuprofen pill down your throat that you didn't want, Right? And what I learned in the math classroom, there's this guy, Dan Myers, he, he, this is how he approaches teaching math, is that nobody wants to learn math until they realize that it's a solution to a problem, right? And so if you can show your students and let them experience the problem, like the reason that some mathematician in history invented this, this function or this equation or this algorithm or this process, like they made it for a reason. And if you can help them experience that, then when you give them the math that you're trying to teach them, it's like, like, it's like a headache and you're offering them ibuprofen and they beg for it, right? Why do these gospel conversations, why do they go so well for us? I, I think it's because we did that, right? Like we, we dug into their worldview so that we could help them see how lost and how broken they are and, and how much they actually need this. The gospel is healing medicine. And, and the way we present it sometimes can, can feel like we're shoving a pill down someone's throat that doesn't want it. But if we just take some time in the beginning of the conversation to understand their worldview and, and what they believe and think, we can actually show them that the gospel is wonderful medicine that they need, right? And I, and I hope you heard that. And in Acts 17, I want to quickly look at this passage with you. Um, I think this is what Paul does. Um, if you start at verse number 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked. By the way, he's waiting for, for Timothy and Silas who were back in Berea. Remember Paul, they went and shared the gospel and, and, and you know, 
believers were made in one in um, Thessalonica, and then there was persecution, so they go to Berea, and then the Thessalonians follow them and persecute them in Berea, so then they go to Athens, while Paul goes to Athens, and now he's waiting for Timothy and Silas, and while he's there, his spirit is provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. You know, all week long, like, so, and I'll just start with this, the first day in Utah, we, um, we toured the Mormon Convention Center, and two sisters just opened up and poured out their beliefs to us. And, and I almost felt myself, I was ready to weep for them because these women were delightful and they were sweet and they were kind, but they were so lost. And, and I just felt my heart provoked, like all week long as I'm speaking to these people that are lost, I felt my heart provoked. And, and Paul here is provoked. Now his might have been more of like an angry provoked because we're talking about all these idols, but either way, I think there's something to be said here we need to let our hearts be provoked for the lost, right? Like, like if we look at the world we're surrounded by and we're just okay with it, that's not okay. Look at verse number 17. So what did he do? He wasn't just provoked. He wasn't just like, oh, I'm really bothered by the fact that there's all these false idols that, and, and God's not being glorified. Verse 17, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with whoever happened to be there. So he did something. He went out and he reasoned with them. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also uh, conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the um, Areopagus and said, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Interesting. Like, like Paul is reasoning and, and talking about Jesus and he's, he's hearing what they believe and he's listening to them and he's telling them about Jesus and they're like, hey, come and tell us about this. And so he does, verse 22. So Paul, standing in their midst of the uh, Areopagus, said, men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. When we were in Utah, we met a ton of people who were very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. Did you notice, by the way, he, he, was, he was observing their faith. He walked through and, and he saw all of these idols that they worshipped. And he was observing what they said on the little placards and inscriptions on them. And, and he was reasoning with them. And he's spending so much time and energy trying to understand what they believe and think. So that he can then, in turn, share the gospel in a way that feels like ibuprofen for a headache. Does that make sense? Look at what he says. For as I passed along and observed objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. 
yet he's actually not far from each one of us for. And then he does something really interesting. He's sharing the gospel, right? What would you expect him to quote? The Old Testament, right? Like, that's what Paul always quotes. He, like, you read Romans. What does he quote over and over again? The Old Testament, the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the Old Testament, New Testament is one faith. That's not what he quotes. He says this, in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Now, if you have an ESV like I do, there should have been like a little superscription. And if you look down to the footnote at the bottom of your Bible, mine says this, probably from Epimenides of Crete, and then the other one will be from Erastus' poem, um, Phenomena. I've never read those. Okay, I'm not going to pretend like I have. But who did he quote? He quoted their philosophers and their poets, right? He, he knows their worldview. He knows their sources of authority for their life. And, and he can actually show them how there's inconsistencies in it from their own worldview. Verse 29 being then God's offspring, we not, ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. He says, your own philosophers say this, yet you worship these wooden, golden, silver idols. Do you see how those two things don't go together? Do you all see how those two things don't go together? <laughs> My man, thank you, brother. <laughs> This is what we learned at plant camp. The, 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 the way that you share the gospel is you, you dig in and you learn and you listen and you ask good questions and you, you think carefully. And, and then when you have an opportunity, after someone's done sharing their story, right? Hey, you said this. What about this? Right? Or, hey, do you mind if I share what I believe? And, and in that moment, you have an opportunity to put a pebble in their shoe, an opportunity to expose where their worldview falls apart, where there's inconsistencies and incompatibilities. And, and in that moment, you have an opportunity to show them the real truth. There is truth, right? Our society, as I think Braden said, is relativistic, pluralistic. We met so many people that said this. The problem is that everyone's trying to force everyone to believe what they believe, and man, if we all just would be okay that you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and everything would be fine, that would be the solution. Man. Well, then I say to him, hey, can I read you something from Jesus? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty exclusive claim that butts up against your claim. What do you do with that, right? And so we, we have these opportunities to share the gospel and we can create them by by listening and by asking good questions and then responding with truth from Scripture because there is truth and, and the source of it is God and he's revealed it through his word. Amen? Amen. I want to finish, I want to finish this passage because um, it's really good. <laughs> Verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has, a fi he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And, and who is that man, by the way? 
That's Jesus. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It is a verifiable truth that Jesus died and raised from his dead. Like Paul said, if that didn't happen, we're all wasting our time. But the good news is it did happen. Like Jesus was raised from the dead. And you have to wrestle with that reality. And Paul says here, God is calling people everywhere to repent. And the amazing thing is that he uses us to be a part of that call. Right? Like, like and here's the cool part about that. Like, this should be so encouraging because something I don't want you to think walking away from this, right? Like, like I'm not trying to manipulate anybody into believing the gospel. I can't, right? Um, the Spirit moves where the Spirit wishes, the, like the wind blows where it wants. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus, right? We have no control over the Spirit. We have no control over the heart. But we know our God uses means to accomplish his ends. And one of those means is us and the preaching of the word and the sharing of the gospel, And there's an extreme encouragement in that because the Lord himself is calling a people to himself and we can participate in that. Isn't that amazing? We can be a part of of the Lord saving someone's soul. And the people out in plant camp in Utah, just man, what a blessing they were to us in showing us how to help people see the truth and how to unpack that for them. I hope that you'll pray for our team. And in fact, what we're gonna do now uh, is another thing we don't do very often, but I'm gonna ask that you do it. We're gonna pray together. And what I mean by that is, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to break into groups, just the people around you. And there is so much to pray for, but I have some requests up here. If we can throw that slide up, that'd be great. Um, just a number of things. Pray for our team as, as we're coming back from Utah. I mean, we are, we're on fire. We want to share the gospel. And, and please pray that that would happen. We, we, we talked to so many people that are lost in Utah. Pray for them. Um, pray for our youth group. One thing that they all said was like, Pastor Matt, can we do this? Like, can we go to Kerr Park and set up some tables and give out some water bottles and take some surveys? And I was like, praise God, yes. Like, like I didn't have to tell them. They came to me and were like, can we do this, right? So pray for our youth group that this would be something that we're on fire for. Pray for our church. Um, your pastors and your elders have a burden for this to be a place where people go and share the gospel. Um, so pray that that would happen in this church. And then pray for compassion. Paul was provoked, right? Pray that you'd be provoked, that we would be provoked to share the gospel. By the way, it says time up there. How long do you think we normally spent in these conversations? These were like minimum 30, 45 minute conversations, maybe an hour, right? So in our busy life, that's just go, 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 go. If you wanna be a part of this, it takes some time but it's so worth it. And then um, last, the lost in Chester County. So I want to just spend five, 10 minutes. You're going to hear the worship team start to play at the end of that. And we'll, we'll stand and sing a song together and then we'll be dismissed. So pick groups, whoever you'd like right near you. We're going to pray for these things and then um, we'll sing a song together.